The Honorable Chief Justice and Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of North Carolina. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, the Supreme Court of North Carolina has resumed sitting for the dispatch of business. God save the state and this honorable court. Good afternoon, everyone. Our next case is State versus Cobb, and we'll hear from the appellant. May it please the court. My name is Kendall McCullen. I'm an assistant attorney general. I represent the state in this appeal. And I also note that this is my first time appearing at the Supreme Court, so it's nice to be here. Um, I would like to request five minutes to be reserved for a rebuttal time, please. Your honors, this is a driving while impaired checkpoint case. At issue here is whether the trial court made sufficient findings of fact and properly weighed the Brown factors. In Brown versus Texas, the US Supreme Court held that when conducting a balancing inquiry, that is weighing the public's interest in the checkpoint against the individual's privacy interest to determine whether a checkpoint is a reasonable seizure under the Fourth Amendment, the court must weigh three factors. First, the gravity of the public concern served by the seizure. Second, the degree to which the seizure advances the public interest. And third, the severity of the interference with the individual's liberty. If, on balance, these factors weigh in favor of the public interest, the checkpoint is reasonable and therefore constitutional. The majority of the Court of Appeals found that the trial court's written order failed to contain sufficient findings that reflect it fully assessed the first two Brown factors. There is a dissent by Chief Judge Stroud. The state has appealed based on the dissent. Your Honors, the trial court correctly addressed the three prongs of the Brown test. The trial court's findings support the conclusion that the checking station was reasonable. In weighing the first Brown factor, and that factor being the gravity of the public interest served by the checkpoint, the court found that the public interest served, served in this case were public safety and Chapter 20 Motor Vehicle Law Enforcement. These interests are sufficient to satisfy the, yeah. the first Brown factor. And I would point to State versus Rose and Delaware versus Rouse, Prouse, excuse me, um, in support of that position. In weighing the second Brown factor, and that factor being whether the checkpoint was appropriately tailored to serve the public interest, the trial court found that the checkpoint was properly tailored and planned. It found that there was a supervisor in charge of the checking station, that there was a written checking station plan that was approved by the check the supervisor prior to the checkpoint, that the impact on traffic was considered. This location had good visibility, plenty of room for cars to pull over. It was a safe area. 
the start time and end time were determined. There was a consistent plan and pattern for stopping vehicles. That was every vehicle was stopped. The checking station was very visible. In fact, two patrol cars had blue lights activated the whole time. Officers were in their uniforms and they utilized reflective vests and flashlights. This checkpoint was planned. It was not set up on a whim. Now, the third um, factor, the Brown factor, the Court of Appeals held that the trial court's findings reflect a thorough consideration of this third Brown factor. And the state agrees. The intrusion on individual liberty was no greater than necessary to achieve the checkpoint's purpose. The court found that most drivers were stopped for less than a minute and that every vehicle was stopped. These officers did not have unrestrained um, discretion over the operation of this checking station. The location was selected for safety of both the public, the traveling public, and the officers. Now, defendant cites uh, several cases that set forth, and, and these cases include Veazey and Rose, and they set forth non-exclusive lists of factors that the court can but is not required to consider when conducting this Brown balancing test. The court does not have to make a finding on each and every one of these factors. This is not a rigid test that the state must meet. The factors are non-exclusive. They are to be used as a guide for the trial court to determine the constitutionality of the checkpoint. Ultimately, the trial court's findings address the requirements for the checkpoint. They are sufficient. There was no error. The trial court properly denied defendant's motion to suppress. For these reasons, the state respectfully requests that this court affirm the order of the trial court without remand as stated in the dissenting opinion. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Council, I'm assuming that you want to just reserve uh, sufficient time for rebuttal. I would, yes, please. Above your five minutes requested. Okay, uh, we'll now hear from the FLA. Thank you. Good afternoon. May it please the court, I'm Assistant Appellate Defender Wyatt Orsman, and I represent Ms. Cobb in this case. The constitutionality of vehicle checkpoints, as we know, is judged by balancing the three factors set out in Brown versus Texas. The gravity of the government's interest in the checkpoint, the tailoring of the checkpoint to accomplish its purpose, and the severity of the government's intrusion. And when doing this balancing, Courts have considered numerous sub-factors and circumstances, and then the analysis can get nuanced pretty quickly. But there are two threads running through this case that make the outcome straightforward. First, the checkpoint at issue in this case is the product of a one-man operation. Sergeant Bobbitt decided a checkpoint was needed, and he authorized it himself. 
He chose the location, he chose the time, and he chose everything else about the checkpoint. He was present at the checkpoint, supervising it. He participated in the checkpoint, making ground level decisions. In short, Sergeant Bobbitt ordered the checkpoint, planned it, and then executed it. The Fourth Amendment doesn't allow such a practice any more than it allows field officers to issue their own warrants and then execute them. As my grandfather from Wilkes County would say, that's the fox guarding the hen house. The second thread is given the lack of internal oversight over this practice, the only real check on the practice was the trial court. To ensure that the Fourth Amendment was satisfied, the trial court was required to consider and assign weight to each of the three Brown factors. And then it was required to make findings and conclusions that explained its reasoning in reaching its ultimate decision. This the trial court did not do. It made no findings on the first factor. It made inadequate findings on the second, and it made worrisome findings on the third. Applying the well-established standard of review in this case, the, the Court of Appeals correctly vacated the trial court suppression order and remanded the case for a more comprehensive analysis under Brown. Picking up that first thread that I mentioned, the Fourth Amendment normally requires individualized suspicion for a traffic stop. Checkpoints are an exception to that requirement. But the Fourth Amendment still insists on safeguards to prevent invasions into individual liberty and security. And one of the most important of those safeguards is the one the United States Supreme Court mentioned in Martinez Fuerte. <clears throat> there, the court noted that the warrant requirement is designed to substitute the judgment of the magistrate for the judgment of the field officer. And similar, similarly, to be constitutional, a checkpoint must be designed so that the high-level decisions, why, where, when, how, are not made by the field officers conducting the checkpoint. The decision maker cannot be the implementer. Council, how, how does your council? I'm sorry. How does your argument uh, apply to small counties? or small municipalities where uh, the chief um, uh, of the police squad, is, or chief of police is often uh, conducting investigations and checkpoints uh, uh, along with the one or two officers in that municipality. Well, look, look, looking at the, um, at the cases that the Supreme Court has decided, the, the checkpoints that have been approved, that have been found to be constitutional, have, have said that when there is a divorce be between the decision-making and the implementing, right? When, when, the, when the same person making the decisions about the checkpoint is not also the person operating it, then, then, then at least that it becomes more constitutional. But when the same person is making the decisions about when, where, why, and how, and also executing the checkpoint, that's not appropriate. So would your argument require that uh, one of these small municipalities 
uh, where the chief of police makes the decision on the checkpoint that he could not participate and supervise his officers? Yes. Yes, the decision maker cannot, right? The the officer right, in, in the warrant context, the officer cannot approve his own search warrant. Right, that, that's that's the that's the job of the magistrate, and, it's the, it's the and, and again, my, well, and, and again, my question uh, goes back to uh, how does this apply to small municipalities? I think there's got to be. I mean, the the Fourth Amendment insists on some sort of separation between the decision maker and the executor. I think they have to uh, if. If the chief of police decides, you know, is, is the decision maker, you know, plans all the details of the checkpoint, then they're not permitted to, to supervise it to, to be a field officer. And they, they, they can't make, they can't make the ground level decisions and the administrative decisions. So, would you envision uh, circumstances where some municipalities would be prohibited? Uh, because of the size of their force from conducting these types of uh, otherwise lawful checkpoints? No, not unless you've got a, a police force that's one person, right? Because as long as you've got two, you've got an administrator and you've got an executor, an implementer. Well, I don't want to quibble uh, with you on, on this point, but if you have uh, two individuals on a police force, then that means you would have only one um, executing the checkpoint uh, and certainly officer safety and the ability to uh, follow through with a plan becomes uh, difficult at that point. But uh, I, I'll let you continue with your, your argument. Well, I mean, the, the follow up on what you said, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know of any rule that says you can't have joint task force that a, uh, that a, a county sheriff's department couldn't join in. Um, you know, a municipalities checkpoint or that the uh, state troopers couldn't join it. Well, no, I, I, and, and I agree with you there. I, I just, it would seem that your argument would prohibit uh, some municipalities from conducting these checkpoints at all on their own. Right. I, th I think they would have to reach out and, and broaden the, they would have to get help elsewhere. Um, I mean, I, Unfortunately for them, I mean, the, the fourth amendment requ requires what it requires. Um, you know, if you don't have a magistrate in, in your county or in your city, you know, you, you have to, you have to come up with, with something, uh, you know, manpower isn't an except, you know, lack of manpower is not an exception to the fourth amendment. Um, picking up where I left off, um, the basic tenet that the that the administrator, that the decision maker about uh, checkpoints cannot also be the implementer of the checkpoint was ignored in this case, right? According to Sergeant Bobbitt's own testimony, as a supervisor, he believed he had the power to authorize a checkpoint whenever he deemed one necessary. In his own words, he was in charge of everything about this checkpoint. He chose the location. He chose the time. He chose every other detail. He conducted the checkpoint and participated in it like a field officer, as a field officer. 
he interacted with the motorists, making ground level decisions about who would go where, when. Under Martinez Fuerte, Sergeant Bobbitt acted as both the detached administrator and as the field officer. His practice violates the Fourth Amendment and its decision, or excuse me, and that reason is sufficient by itself to remand the case for reconsideration. Picking up the second thread that I mentioned, there are other important reasons for remanding this case. The second thread that I mentioned is the trial court's findings of fact and conclusions of law fail to show that it properly considered and weighed each of the three Brown factors. First, the trial court was supposed to address the gravity or the magnitude or the severity of the government's interest in the Highway 2427 checkpoint. Those are the words that the Supreme Court has used to describe this analysis. Here, the trial court did find, and there's really no contest here, the, the, the trial court did find that the government had a legitimate interest in preventing drug driving and preventing Chapter 20 violations. But the, check, but the trial court made zero findings about the gravity of that interest with respect to this specific checkpoint. As the Court of Appeals noted, the trial court effectively collapsed its analysis uh, about identifying a government interest with its analysis for us assessing the importance of that interest. Right. Contrary to the position of the dissent and now the state, the trial court's findings that the checkpoint had a valid purpose and that purpose was advanced is in no way a finding about whether the interest behind that checkpoint was important or grave or compelling. As Martinez says, any evidence about the interest or the gravity of the interest must be in the record. The trial court failed to make findings of facts on one third of the Brown's three factors. That alone is a sufficient reason to vacate and remand. Second, the trial court was supposed to address whether the checkpoint was appropriately tailored to achieve its purpose. To do this, the trial court needed to make findings of fact about the decision-making process behind the checkpoint. But the trial court made no findings on whether Sergeant Bobbitt received a prior authorization from his supervisor or whether the checkpoint was set up on a whim. It made no findings why this particular location was selected for the checkpoint. It certainly made findings about the location but it did not make findings about why this location was selected. It made no findings on why the period from 12.15 a.m. to 2 a.m. was chosen for conducting this checkpoint or whether that time was predetermined or pre-approved by a supervisor. It made no findings on the success rate of this checkpoint. And it made no findings on whether the troopers were given pre-established questions or protocols to channel their discretion. These are basic questions that need to be answered for the trial court and for any reviewing court 
to be able to determine whether the checkpoint was reasonable. As the Court of Appeals explained, without findings on these, on these issues, it's impossible to know why the trial court reached the conclusion that it did. The trial court's incomplete analysis on the tailoring factor, again, is a sufficient reason by itself to vacate and remand. Finally, the trial court was supposed to consider the stop's intrusion into individual liberty and security. A review of the trial court's findings of fact strongly suggest that it misunderstood the applicable Fourth Amendment law. The trial court seems to endorse Sergeant Bobbitt's practice of authorizing his own checkpoints and then executing them. Farmers don't let foxes guard their hen houses, and the Fourth Amendment doesn't let field officers authorize their own seizures. In sum, the trial court's findings of fact address really only about one and a half of Brown's three factors. And that simply is not good enough, especially when some of the trial court's findings approve of unconstitutional practices. The Court of Appeals prudently and properly vacated the trial court suppression order and remanded the case for more comprehensive analysis under Brown. That decision should be affirmed. And this court should clarify that the trial court should not receive any additional evidence on remand. The state always has the burden in suppression hearings. And the trial and the excuse me and the prosecution was aware that it had the burden of proof in this suppression hearing. That's on page 32 of the transcript. And nothing in the law has changed that that would alter what the state would be required to prove. In short, the state should not get a second bite at the apple. If the Court of Appeals erred at all in this case, it was in remanding the case for additional findings where there's insufficient evidence in the record to support findings necessary to deny the motion to suppress. But if this court is inclined, this court can correct that error just as it did in State v. Eichert. If there are no further questions, I will cede to the appellant. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal. Thank you. And I'm going to attempt to follow the defendant's framework as they set out in their argument. Um, addressing the first thread, was, which, as defendant contends, that this checkpoint was a one-man operation, this argument fails. First, Sergeant Bobbitt was fulfilling his role as supervisor. He is tasked with making decisions, and he did here. He was not a field officer. He did not write tickets. Judge Hill, the trial court judge, considered this when balancing the, the Brown factors. She found in her order that Sergeant Bobbitt was in fact the supervisor in charge of the checking station. She further found in finding number three that the defendant was arrested by Trooper Holder, not Sergeant Bobbitt. 
as Justice Berger um, asked, Harnett County is a small county. The record reflects that normally in Harnett County, there are three or four troopers on duty at a given time. Here, there were six troopers, at least six troopers operating this checking station to make sure the plan was followed, to make sure that the officers and traveling public were safe. So they were operating at full capacity. To move on to the second thread identified by defendant, which is that the trial court lacks sufficient findings in the Brown balancing test, we disagree. The defendant suggests that the trial court was supposed to consider the gravity and magnitude of the public interest. Well, the gravity and magnitude of this public interest, that being um, motor vehicle law enforcement and public safety, that has been established in case law. It's established by Prowse, it's established by Rhodes. Now, if the defendant suggests that there is a magic word gravity or magnitude that should be included in a trial um, court suppression order, that fails because there, there is no magic language. There's not a magic word that is required to be included in an order. This public concern is in fact sufficient and established by the case law. Now, the moving to the second Brown factor, the Defendant suggests that certain factors such as a success rate of the checkpoint location, questions that are to be prepared and given to troopers, that these are factors that should be considered failed. These are not factors let's, that the court- Let's back up for a second. I want to ask you about the, the last point you were making about the gravity of the concern. Um, the finding here in the trial court's order um, was that the public concern was the public safety in um, confirming motors were in compliance and not violating any Chapter 20 motor vehicle violation period without any indication that there was a particular problem in this area or even in this county. Um, if, if that's a sufficient justification of the gravity to set up a checkpoint, wouldn't that be true anywhere in the entire state anytime that people are always concerned about compliance with the traffic laws. How would that um how would that be any sort of specific at all? Well it, it would be it would be specific um to the I think the court here this trial court considered the specific location um when finding that the location of this particular checking station was a short distance to highway 87 and three county lines making it a major thoroughfare into thorough fare into and out of the, the county. The road is heavily traveled at times. So the trial court here did consider the specific location of this checking station, noting that because of its proximity to three county lines and it's a major thoroughfare, there is sufficient traffic to warrant and support a um, checking station at this location. And then the case law um, supplements or provides the framework to 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 show that the first 
the first brown factor is um, public safety and the chat enforcement of motor vehicle violations um, and motor vehicle laws is a sufficient um, and legitimate public concern. Okay, thank you. Now, moving to the last um, brown factor addressed by the defendant. Um, I'm sorry, counsel, can I, before you move on, I have a question. I also have a question about um, the, the argument you made earlier. Um, because you, you've talked about the plan that was devised, and I, I just want to make sure I'm right about what's in the record and what was before the trial court in that regard. And um, it, it, am I right that the um, HP 14, which is um, States Exhibit 1 and on page 21 of the record, that that was the form that um, Sergeant Babbitt um, introduced, and is that the full extent of the plan, at least as it was available to the trial court, or was there something else provided? Uh, yes, yes, Your, Your Honor. The, the question, um, the answer to your question is that the um, HP 14 form, which is on page 21 of the record, that is the full extent of the written plan. Thank you. Now, defendant suggested and stated that field officers cannot authorize their own seizures. Sergeant Bobbitt was not a field officer. He was, in fact, the supervisor, and he acted in that capacity when approving um, and planning this checkpoint. Again, I think the, the trial court um, properly considered that when it found that Trooper Holder was, in fact, the arresting officer in this case. We respectfully request that this court affirm the order of the trial court without remand. And if there are any further questions, I'm happy to address those. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, everyone. Madam Clark. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina will be in recess for 15 minutes. God save the state and this honorable court. <laughs>